Mary Brown. Have you ever been bullied at work? According to a 2021 survey from WBI, 30% of the American workforce reports being bullied at work. Workplace bullying can rob people of their job satisfaction and effectiveness, leading some to suffer great and sustained physical and or mental harm. Today on Conflict Managed, we speak with Nikki Iyer, an expert in workplace bullying. Having experienced bullying in a previous organization, Nikki knows firsthand the impact of a toxic relationship. She has dedicated her career to raising awareness of the impact of bullying as well as offering practical and pragmatic solutions to organizations who want to improve the way they handle bullying and toxic behavior. She recognizes the scale of the problem at both an organizational and individual level and is able to bring her wealth of experience to her role as a consultant, coach, trainer, and speaker. Good morning, Nikki, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you this morning. Well, I should say afternoon since you're in the, you're in the UK. <laughs> it is the afternoon here. Yes, it is. So, um, but uh, still feels like morning. It's been quite a long morning, so <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get started. Would you tell us about a positive work experience you have had? Yeah, I've had um, quite an eclectic working career, um, you know, everything from voluntary jobs through to um, senior roles. But if I was actually to say, what's my best work experience, then I think working for myself has been the most positive experience. Um, and that's mostly because I'm now doing what I really love and it feels really purposeful. So how did that come about working for yourself? Uh, I've always worked well. I started off working a little bit in finance and then I ended up with a career in education and training and eventually trained as a coach. And being able to take all of those aspects together, then I decided to go self-employed. And I'd had kind of little spells of self-employment um, throughout my career, usually kind of during transitional periods. Uh, but this time I decided it was the right time for me to go for it completely and um, absolutely loved coaching individuals particularly you know working with people one-to-one -one as well as training the bigger groups as well so it just felt like a really good mix and an opportunity to strike out on my own. I'm now self-employed I run my own organization and I never really wanted to run my own organization until I found what it is that I wanted to do and I realized I was going to have to do it. Because where I live, there wasn't anything like that. And um, I wasn't going to be moving. And I always thought people who did that were extremely brave. And I still think that it is, a, for my experience, it was a little bit scary striking out on my own. What, what about for yourself? Yeah, it's incredibly scary. And, you know, with every business, um, particularly small business, then you go through kind of the peaks and troughs. You have the fantastic wins. You have the really low points. And you're also balancing all those different aspects of an entire business when 
particularly if you worked in a large organization before, there were probably other people or even departments offering all of those support <laughs> services. And you're suddenly discovering, oh, you know, I, I now have to, um, you know, deliver what I deliver and what I love doing. But I have to sell and I have to market and I have to do my finances and everything like that. So it's um, I think it's really interesting. I love the variety. I'm not good at all of those aspects. So I'm very, very willing to reach out and ask for help uh, whenever I need it. So, yeah, and a lot of networking and meeting amazing people as well. So yeah, that's what I have found are some of the aspects of running a business that I thought I wasn't going to be good at or I didn't enjoy. And I'm a little bit of an introvert. So the networking, um, but I have found I love it so much. I love going to local ribbon cuttings and I have met so many people and doing things I never thought I would do because I didn't need to do them when I was teaching. That was, I was teaching, was doing all those sorts of things that the university took care of, as you said, all the other aspects. And it's interesting to me to see the things I didn't know I would actually enjoy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm quite introverted myself, so I completely understand that about networking. Um, you know, that ability to walk into a room full of people where you don't know anybody and just start striking up a conversation. But the business community have been so welcoming and so supportive that actually, you know, you get out of it as much as you put in. And it has been incredible. And I know so many people I can just turn to now and say, I need some help with this. Or do you know anybody that does that? And it just makes life so much easier. So, so yes, getting past the networking is, it's good. And yeah, I'm, I'm like, I, I really enjoy it now. So. Yeah, it is amazing. There's this network. I've had the same experience that your community and the other businesses, they want you to succeed. And they, there's so many people who are willing to mentor. It's just, if you don't know what you don't know. And so when you put yourself out there, I have found that every single time I go to a business after hours or a ribbon cutting or some kind of community event, every single time I have met at least one person. And whether that helps me in my business or just meeting more people in the community, it has by and large been a positive experience oh scary when I arrive and I know nobody in the room um but positive yeah and I I would actually go as far as to say that I've got some really firm friends now that I've actually made through that process of business networking so you never know where it's going to lead yes I agree um so on the flip side can you tell us about an experience that hasn't been positive at work uh I can and um, to be honest, I held back a little bit earlier when you said, you know, but how did I come into self-employment? Because actually one of the reasons that I ended up there was because I was bullied in the workplace. And that led me to having to leave my job. And um, my confidence was absolutely knocked at the time. It really um, had a detrimental impact on my, uh, my mental health, my physical health. Um, but also kind of my whole personality, I, I absolutely withdrew, I was really isolated. And it was such a horrible experience that it took me a long time to um, come through that and really come out the other side and, and rebuild my confidence. And I would say it probably took about six years to really rebuild my confidence. So one of the reasons I started working for myself was because I, I was actually frightened to go back and work for another employer in that situation I'm so sorry that's awful 
It is. And yet it's also driven me because now what my business does is that I help people who have been bullied at work. I work with businesses to help prevent workplace bullying. And what started as a really negative experience has turned into something that I find so fascinating. and I'm incredibly passionate about, not just as a subject, but um, really determined to make change, not just in the organisations I work with, but, you know, in the wider awareness raising and, and trying to um, get legislation changed as well. So it's it's become a huge life purpose. It is amazing to me how that can happen. And many times it does through tragedy, right? That experience doesn't have to define us, uh, that we can make a change and then work for our betterment and then to help other people help rise them out of those circumstances. So will you tell us about your business and what you do? Yes, so the business is called Conduct Change and um, there's, there's various elements to it. So what everything is absolutely rooted in the prevention of workplace bullying. Now, we do some kind of awareness training around that, um, but we also do a lot of focus on prevention work as well. So uh, one of the other things that a lot of people do is they go straight for those formal processes. That's how they deal with bullying. And so we really, really try to raise awareness about the fact that that's incredibly damaging um, to individuals and to the organisation. You know, so many people get affected by a bullying case. It's not just kind of the, the two individuals that you think of as being involved. And so we do a lot of work trying to really kind of raise the profile there, talk to people about what they can do differently um, and coaching individuals who are perhaps going through a bullying case at work to help them kind of take the emotion out of it a little bit and come to it from a more logical uh, point because actually people who've been bullied if it's a really severe case that's been going on for a long time it can lead to workplace bullying trauma and in that case they are really going to be struggling to articulate what has happened to them and the language they use will not do justice to the impact that it has had on them uh, so there's a, a really clear bit there around really supporting um, people in the workplace and then because our business was set up with a social purpose as well, for individuals who've had to leave work and they're struggling, then we have a moving on programme, which we deliver on a pay as you are able basis. And that's just an online group coaching programme that runs for six weeks. And that just it brings people together that have had a common experience. And the way I describe it for them is we're going to help you find your way back to yourself. Hmm. because you really lose a part of yourself when you get bullied at work yes so so yeah that's that's a bit of it <laughs> <laughs> could you define um since this is something that you this is what your business is about is what you do how do you define bullying so bullying for me I think of it as a pattern of behaviors that have the potential to cause um physical or psychological damage to another person in the workplace. Uh, that, that tends to be how I think about it. Um, you know, when you think about bullying, it does tend to be a pattern of behaviours. There's usually some sort of imbalance of power in that relationship. 
and we think of that usually as being sort of like you know the boss and and the subordinate for want of a better word um but it's not always that sometimes it's peers and having knowledge about each other there's something there that they can use um as their power uh so yeah that's kind of how i really think about it and when i use the word bullying I use that in the broadest term to cover a really wide spectrum of behaviours from, you know, short moments of rudeness and incivility that can escalate into bullying if they're allowed to continue up to, you know, what can be physical violence or even the um, gaslighting, the those kind of behaviours that can actually lead to a psychiatric injury. So it's a huge, huge spectrum of behaviours. And it's really about looking kind of for the patterns in there and the impact that they're having on people that for me is really important. I think it's a, a really um, interesting and I think it sounds like a good way to describe bullying, this idea of a pattern of behavior. Uh, because sometimes people are wondering, am I being bullied because this person spoke rudely to me? Now, we don't want rude behavior, but we also want to recognize that sometimes people have bad days, Right. And so just because somebody had a bad day doesn't mean they ought not apologize for their rude behavior. But sometimes we wonder, the boss told me I wasn't doing a good job. They're bullying me, right? Sometimes I think the word can get overused and then it loses its impact for people who have suffered. And we know sometimes that suffering can end in death. I mean, it's real. Yeah. So we want to retain the impact of it by also recognizing we don't want incivility at work. Yes, yeah. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Christine Porath's work on the costs of incivility. And she did a lot of research into this. I think it was around 2013. And it really showed that actually even those little moments of rudeness will really mean that people disengage from work and even take it out on the customers. So absolutely, we don't want those moments of rudeness. But as you say, quite rightly, somebody you know being rude because they've got something going on maybe at home they it could be a bereavement it could be anything like that in the family they've got some sort of stress they're dealing with and it comes out in the way they behave to another person so what's really really important is was that outside of the norm for that person because if somebody is suddenly rude don't take offense ask them how they're doing ask them what's wrong Ask them if you can help because there's something going on for them. Now, if they are rude all the time, then absolutely raise them on, you know, raise that with them because it could well be that nobody's ever told them that a particular way of talking or a particular phrase they use is actually really rude and, and it's not well received. How are they going to know if nobody tells them? And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. The word can be overused. Um, and you mentioned about, you know, oh, my boss tells me I'm not doing a good job. He's bully. Yeah, that does get used. And you can get those vexatious claims as well. So we have to recognize that all of that sits under this wonderful term of bullying. And, and I think for me, that's what makes it so fascinating that you can unpick so much of this. Um, but if those patterns are allowed to continue, if you've spoken up, and said, this is not acceptable, and those behaviours continue, 
then there is no way around it. That is bullying at that point because you have told somebody that what they're doing is affecting you. And if they don't, if they're not prepared to change or they're not prepared to um, accept that as your truth and your reality, then if that continues, you really are being bullied. And that has such a devastating impact. As you said, it can, it can lead to suicide yeah. in the worst cases. Yeah. Gosh, you've said so many interesting things um, to unpack. I think one thing if we step back to, if somebody says something out of character for them, many of us are maybe sensitive. And when somebody says something to us that seems rude or feels rude to us, we take offense. We think it's about us, right? But, you know, inculcating emotional intelligence and working to have empathy just on a daily basis uh, can take us out of ourselves where, oh, Jane is saying this to me, but that's not like Jane. Instead of thinking, oh, she sees something bad about me, maybe there's something wrong with Jane, right? But the empathy goes both ways, being empathetic for ourselves. And so being paying attention to, is this acceptable behavior? What's going on with these emails that I keep on receiving or whatever this person is doing to me, but really trying to work on, even in the workplace, especially, you know, everywhere, yeah. emotional intelligence and translating that into speaking up for ourselves and for others. In your yeah. experience, when people first experience bullying, do they speak up? I, I would think they don't. No, and I think part of the reason for that is we don't always recognize it straight away. So um, I had a very early incident with the person who bullied me and I kind of refused to believe that I could be bullied. Mm. And so I would say I just worked harder initially to kind of meet their demands and make sure that I did everything that was expected of me. Um, But, um, you know, longer term, what I found was that I was being drawn into working practices that didn't sit well with my values. Mm. And that was having an impact on me, as well as kind of, you know, this, the behavior of this person. And so that was really, really damaging. Um, But yeah, I think it's really, really hard for people to speak up. Um, So initially, it can be about denial or not recognizing that it's happening to you. And I've stood up and talked about my experience and people sitting in the audience have come up to me afterwards and said, I didn't even know that what was happening to me was bullying until I heard you talk about it. Mm. So all the words on a piece of paper mean nothing um, until you hear somebody saying, yes, this is bullying and this is what it can do to you. So, um, yeah, absolutely agree with you that a lot of people don't speak up initially or sometimes ever at all. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting that it's almost like being put in a pot of boiling water, right? The lobster doesn't get out because they don't recognize it. And then by the time you recognize it, you don't know what to do. And then also we hear a lot about psychological safety at work. You know, people, I'm very interested in in having healthy work environments. And so why do people not speak up when they see something unhealthy? Because they don't feel safe. They fear retribution. They fear they're going to be be called high maintenance or they're going to lose something. Um, And so the psychological safety for if when I do recognize it, 
I may still not speak up if I feel like nobody cares. So nobody has my back. Absolutely. And when you think the bullying cases, you know, nearly 50%, this is the UK figures, but over 50% don't speak up. Mm. Um, There's not an exact figure. There's various bits of research, but they tend to show that about 90% of um, complaints are not upheld Mm. anyway. So, and then the person who does speak up against bullying is usually the one that loses their job or ends up ill or both. And so if we're observing that from the outside, the very clear message is it is not safe to speak up. And I think that's really, really important in terms of speak up campaigns that organizations have. And they'll say, you know, come and talk to this person and they'll be able to talk to you about what you should do next. And all of that is about going to different, um, you know, formal processes. Maybe if you're lucky, you've got a, uh, an organization which will offer you coaching or mediation or an attempt to you know, facilitate a conversation between the individuals involved to try and catch it really early on. But we've got a lot of speak up campaigns and you know they're using apps and, and things like that and online systems to record. People are allowed to record anonymously. Why are they recording anonymously? Because there is still no psychological safety in the organization. You cannot put those processes in without changing what you do when people speak up. And that for me is the absolute crux of the problem. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so interesting. It just seems that in organizations and they do like I say engagement surveys or any kind of climate surveys, it's all anonymous. And my first question is why? Why does this have to be anonymous? Because people don't feel safe speaking up. That's something you're going to need to address. If people can't really tell you what they think, uh, I think that we already know what we should be working on. Um, you don't need to have, you know, if, if people can tell you what they think, then, um, then we can move on to work on some other things, but you're really not going to get it. And um, courage is important in all of our relationships, home, work, community, and we need to do things that help us to be courageous. And many work environments are the opposite. We like you as long as you're on board with us, but if you have a problem, now it's us versus them. And in the US, the lawyers get involved. Now all the policies look to me that they're written for the lawyers, not for the humans that are working there. Yeah, and I I would agree with that um, from the UK side. Um, The policies feel like they're they're written in such a way that they're supposed to look like they protect the employee. And yet they feel when you go through them like they're protecting, you know, the employer is the one who is protected because they can, um, well, the use of NDAs and settlement agreements is widespread they just say, oh, the insurance policy will pay for this and they don't worry about it. You know, litigation becomes a standard part of business practice. And so why would they worry? It's not it's not costing them enough to hurt them financially because they're only looking at that invoice. They're right. not looking at the bigger picture. That's right. It really is costing them. And uh, they say something that's like 44 billion a year in the U.S. for toxic work environments. It really is costing them. I'm sure the cost is way higher and lots of just innovation, institutional memory, uh, what you do when you feel belonging, what you do when you 
have a problem because we all have problems at work. Every single person, if they're not having one right now, they have had one or will. And when we think our organization is going to help us through that, then that's a certain kind of buy-in. If you want retention (laughs) and recruitment, uh, treat your people well. Absolutely. And, you know, another area that we talk about is that when you do speak up, you have the courage to speak up. And I love that you use that word because we we talk about creating courageous and compassionate workplaces. Um, But when you do speak up, then you can actually get another layer of trauma, because if you are not believed, and the policies and processes make you feel like, you know, the employer has gone against you, then what you're talking about is something called institutional betrayal. Mm. And that creates another level of trauma altogether. So yeah, we really, really want them to understand that speaking up should be about well, it should be about the good stuff as well as the bad stuff. Uh, you know, it should be about that. Look, I've got a great idea or why don't we do things differently? Or let's have a debate about this particular subject, because, you know, we could really spark some creativity if we disagree with each other, but not without not making it a personal attack. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. When, mm-hmm. when did we stop being able to disagree without making it a personal attack. Yeah, I would want to go so far to say that if you aren't having disagreements in your organization that are being talked about and debated, that your your organization is unhealthy. Because if everybody is agreeing, well, not everybody is agreeing, they just don't feel like they can. And so if you don't encourage people to disagree, you know, so tell us what you really think. uh, That's a sign that something's wrong, just like in a in a relationship, any kind of certainly like a, a partnership, if they say that one of the signs that your partnership is about to dissolve is you don't disagree at all because you just don't care, you've disengaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And you know, uh, we quite often hear about people who want, well, we have a nice culture. We're just all nice to each other here, and actually, that's um, a real sign that you're masking things. Yeah, you're not prepared to speak up. That you haven't got psychological safety, and it's really important that people understand that psychological safety isn't about just you know nurturing people, letting them say what they want, or or tread on eggshells so they don't have to hurt each other's feelings. Um, yes, sometimes our feelings will get hurt because our idea won't get to taken forward but when you have psychological safety you will have heard why that idea didn't get taken forward you will understand the reasons for it and you will have been part of contributing to the next idea that came out of that conversation so you will have contributed and you will have been able to challenge the status quo um you know it might not have gone your way on that occasion but it might go, you know, another way on another time, but your contribution will have been valued. And that makes a big, big difference to the way people feel about work. I agree. And how do we get courage by speaking up? And a part of um, being a person that's filled with courage is knowing what to do when things don't go our way. So in the, if you could have a work environment where Sometimes the little things happen. I speak up and I don't get what I want. I speak up here and I don't get what I want. But as you said, you've got the system that hasn't minimized you or belittled you or ignored you. It encourages you to speak up 
when there is something, once there's something negative that's going on, right? It's a, it's a habit virtue. Uh, the virtue of courage is a habit that you just get all the time. You're either going towards being courageous or being a coward, right? We're on the sort of sliding scale. And so we could make our environment such that help us develop that virtue so that I can speak up for somebody else or myself when things are not going well, when something, when I am being hurt. But if the first time you're asked to speak up is when it's something that massive for you and you know, probably not going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, you have to recognize as well that for some people just saying, hello, my name is in a meeting is a huge, huge accomplishment for them. Right. So thank them for contributing, even if it's just their name, you know, thank them for saying hello to each other. Thank them for opening the door, for grabbing you a coffee, whatever it is, those little things, like you say, when they become a habit, then we start to kind of really drill that respect through everything that we do. And and that's what we're talking about. You know, you don't have to like everybody. It's about respecting everybody's opinions, their value, their contribution. It's that inclusion at its widest form Mm -hmm. it's not just about inclusivity in terms of you know we we tend to kind of put diversity and inclusion together and we talk about diversity as if it has to come first but actually for me that's the wrong way around inclusion has to come first because that's the acceptance of everybody and what they can bring and then you get that diversity of thought of ideas, of creativity, of innovation, of competitiveness. And that has got to be the best way forward. Yeah, I talk to a lot of groups about um, conflict in the workplace. And while I'm certainly not a diversity trainer, I, I see that if you really, if we want to bring all different kinds of people into our organizations, which we should, our organizations should reflect the world, our community, and so have all different kinds of people ages, backgrounds, religions, races, whatever it might be, if we don't know how to disagree well with one another, uh, we should expect more turmoil at work instead of harnessing, because we know that conflict can be good. It helps us to grow. And I love being in a meeting where I have this idea and I share it. And then somebody says, well, what about this? And then somebody else says, well, what about this? And it's so much bigger. Uh, or when I get to contribute to, oh, that's a great idea. How about this? And then it grows and it's, it's from the team. And that's, yeah. I love nothing more than that kind of collaboration, but it only happens when we're willing to be open and be re- really inclusive. But that means that we have to also be safe enough to know, okay, my idea didn't work this time, but I was heard and I was appreciated. I will speak yeah. up again the next time. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about kind of people being able to speak up, but it's also the people who dominate and speak all the time that have to learn how to stand back and listen as well. So, you know, the listening is the most important element in all of this. And we have to, um, you know, the expression about you have to listen to hear, not listen to reply. And so really take your time to listen and be in the moment. And this is like you say, this is where the emotional intelligence comes in. Um, So really be aware of how you act in meetings. Does everybody get a chance to speak or do you dominate? 
do you hold back because you're scared to speak up um or it's you know might not be scared but it's just not your natural state so you wait to be asked is anybody asking you there are so many little things that we can do that will really change the dynamic of a team and a meeting um at any time so yeah it's it's so fascinating, isn't it? We could just talk for hours about this. <laughs> One thing I wanted to pick up on is that uh, you said that sometimes the bully doesn't even know they're bullying because maybe so like, so in the States, we've got East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, South, and there's just sort of like a different feel. So I'm from the West Coast. I live in the South. Some of the people I know that are from the East Coast, it appears to me that they're being rude. And I probably appear to them as being um, overly passive or something. I don't know. But, but getting past that appearance to being able to say, I've noticed this behavior, what's going on? Instead of assuming we know, assuming somebody else is malintent, uh, but being able yeah. to have those conversations. What do you recommend if I think someone is bullying me? It, I'm sure you see this, that maybe somebody doesn't know. How, tell us about that. It's, again, it's going to depend very much on kind of the, the context there. So if somebody has, you know, you've had a good relationship previously and then behaviours have changed, you may feel that actually this has been going on for a while now and I'm, I'm really not happy. So I'm going to talk to that person. I feel that I can. And if you can have that individual conversation that says, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you sometimes do this, this and this, or say this, this and this. And I find that really hurtful or difficult or, or whatever it is for you. I, I wasn't sure if you were aware that you were, you know, having that impact on me. But you also have to recognise in there whether you are misreading something, whether it's something that to do with the past experience you might have had or anything like that. Um, and particularly, you know, say there's somebody that you feel you're being bullied by. Now, if that person reminds you of somebody who has bullied you or you've been through a traumatic incident in the past, it could be their hair, it could be their tone of voice, it could be the perfume or the aftershave that they wear, it could be the clothes they wear, it could be their, their height, the way they stand, it could be a gesture that they make, but somewhere at an unconscious level, you don't feel safe around that person. So is there anything that you need to work on for yourself to help with that relationship? And in that case, you might need someone else to come in and help facilitate a conversation. If it's gone further than that, and you really feel like you're not able to talk to each other, then you might want to go down the mediation route. Um, I think, you know, there are there are pros and cons to all sorts of different approaches and there's no one size fits all when it comes to bullying. And I, th I think that's a really important thing. If somebody feels that they have been bullied for a long time and they haven't spoken up and, you know, two, three, six years is not unusual, then they may well have gone into workplace bullying trauma. Now, the most important thing for those people is that they need to feel safe again. They have lost their trust in humanity. If you try to take them at that stage and put them into 
mediation or to ask them to talk directly to the person, you are potentially reinforcing the trauma there. So there isn't a, a really um, short, sharp answer to that. You know, what should you do? It absolutely depends on the context and how far down the process you are. But most of all, it depends on how it's impacted on you, which will also depend on what else you have got going on in your life or what you might have experienced previously. So that it's absolutely multifaceted. And, and I think that's why it's really, really important that every case is dealt with on a really individual basis and a compassionate basis. Everybody should be supported to change in the first instant. Don't go in with the, somebody's got to be right, somebody's got to be wrong. It's always more, there's a lot more grey in there than that. So I'm not sure that answered your question at all, really. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's a perfect answer because it's a human answer. And so much we want in our workplaces, we want to streamline everything. We want to, uh, we've got these policies. We've got this just very much mechanized view of the workplace and therefore people, but people aren't computers and uh, we aren't little algorithms, we are individuals. And every single one of us wants to be treated with dignity and respect, which means being treated as an individual. And insofar as we have that view, and maybe let's suppose you work in HR or you're trying to do something about that, being aware that there's a variety of different avenues and having sort of a menu of possibilities. So at least you've got some, you know, it's not just, I have no idea what to do, but depending um, on the stages or maybe hiring someone like you or your organization to help you think about depending on, let's see where we might start given what's been going on and what the, and, you know, you've interviewed this person and, and what their psychological state is, right? Because mediation takes consent and some people yeah. aren't able to consent given their psychological state. Um, they don't know what yeah. they're getting into. Absolutely. So, and I think that's where it's really important to, you know, rip refer them for a professional opinion as an HR person do not try and diagnose somebody's psychological <laughs> straight state right. but be aware of the signs that they need extra support and if somebody comes to you and has a completely incoherent set of events with no real timeline to them everything sounds muddled and confused then they're not going to be able to put a case forward they need to take a step back and have their psychological safety reinforced before they can even begin to think about what they should do next but it's that balancing act, isn't it, between we want a, a quick solution because this has been going on so long for you to actually know if you take a little bit longer and have the right support. Um, and it's not often seen as trauma either. So, um, you know, more medical experts need to recognise that um, it can be trauma and a different therapeutic approach is needed in that case. So... So, yeah, it's it's a hugely difficult position, but that's, you know, when you were talking about kind of the human approach as opposed to the, well, we'll just follow our policies and procedures here. It's so, so important for 
HR or anybody who is that first point of contact with somebody coming forward. Well, Nikki, I really could talk to you all day long, um, but we, we are going to come to an end here. And I was wondering if you could just give us a vision for a healthy work environment. How, how do you see or what is your vision for the future? The way we phrased it, I just mentioned this earlier, is that we're striving to create compassionate and courageous workplaces for the future. For us, that is where everybody feels heard, valued and respected. It is having your voice in an organisation and it is having that ability to debate all the different issues. That doesn't mean that we don't get on with our work. <laughs> But we have the option to share ideas, to speak up when things are going well, when we have a new idea and also when things are going wrong. Let's stop escalation. Let's stop rewarding people for the poor behaviours, for the, um, you know, let's stop rewarding people based on monetary contribution to the organization and start looking at actually what is their human contribution to the organization well thank you so much that says it pretty much all I really appreciate your time with us today it's been brilliant being here and like you say we could keep talking about this for hours so it's been an absolute pleasure thank you thank you so much to Nikki for her time today if you're interested in what Nikki Iyer has to say and some of her resources available through her organization, you can reach out to Conduct Change. Conduct Change was established in 2019 by Nikki Iyer and offers business consultancy training and coaching about workplace bullying and the need for behavioral changes in the workplace. Nikki is an advocate for building a workplace which is psychologically safe with a particular interest in tackling workplace bullying as a part of an overall approach to improving workplace culture and well-being. She's also the Chief Campaigning Officer for the Stop Hurt at Work campaign, which is currently focusing on raising awareness and seeking formal recognition of workplace bullying as a problem that injures individuals and damages organizations. Conflict Managed is produced by Third-Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.